The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I talk a lot about how much therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay. And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I partnered with a company called online-therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week and you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website, judgingmegan.com, and you go to the therapy tab. And if you click on the link at the bottom, you can get 20% off your first month. Hi, everyone. So I just wanted to let you know that today's episode or this week's episode does have some technical issues. So you might notice that the sound is off a few times. I absolutely needed for you all to hear Danny's story. And there was a part of me that said, oh, let me just get in touch with Danny and re-record this episode. But I just felt like I needed to put out what we talked about, and it is a very special episode to me. She's a very incredible lady, and I hope that you guys can kind of overlook the few technical issues that we had this week with our sound, and forgive me, and 
enjoy this episode and enjoy this wonderful woman. And hopefully she can teach us all a thing or two about what's important in life because I know she taught me something. So enjoy this week's episode of Judging Megan. Well, hello, everyone. Um, I am just going to tell you right now, I am once again out on a little little trip. I'm hoping that children don't walk in throughout the episode. I'm also hoping that the three dogs that are in this house, so our friend's dog is with us, and then RBG um, is my dog to my guest, Danny, who's on right now. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is my dog, but I also call her Jurassic Park. Oh, She's the wow. worst dog I've ever had in my life. And then Rosie is my other. And so I have two labs. And um, all they've been doing is barking. They're going crazy. We got to the desert. So we're in we're in Parker, Arizona. We actually come here all the time. We have a house. We've been coming here. Ron, my husband's been coming here since he was a kid. So it's a teeny tiny house on the water. It is literally 100 and about 110 degrees Arizona hot heat, like hot, hot, hot. We get here yesterday, okay, and the the AC was broken in the house. So we drove, <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course, right? So we drove for five, it takes like four and a half, five hours. There was LA traffic. So it took us like over five hours. We get here, we open the door, and I literally was like, it was hot, it was hotter inside than it was outside and it's that dry heat so it's not the humidity on the east coast but it's like this dry heat and i was like i i'm i don't know my listeners would probably guess this and danny my guest that's on right now my new guest who i love i can already tell you i love her well you i just want you to know i am not the most calm person on the planet when things go wrong i know that's shocking to everybody but I kind of looked at my husband and I was like, um, so what are we going to do? And cause I wasn't going to stay in that hot house. So then thank God our friends show up like 10 minutes later. They're like, we know a realtor in the area. We're just going to rent. We're renting a house. We don't care how much it costs. So like way to reframe. Okay. Because what happened was we now are in a house that has a pool it's right on the water so i mean i really can't explain i am so excited for you to come on we you and i met when we both like we didn't we didn't really meet physically but we met when we both began podcasting so yes, we, we were in like, I think we were in like a pot. I meet a lot of my guests this way and I've made a lot of friends this way, but like, I think we were on she podcasts or one of the groups and we kind of were like, Oh, let's listen to each other's podcasts. There were like yes. four of us. Yes. Four of us. Yes. Then, yes. I remember then, that. And then I listened to yours and you listened to mine. And then the other two people like dropped off. I never heard from them again. Right? Yeah, neither did I. Neither did I. Yeah. Okay, but then we, you and I, have kept in touch over the over the past year because it's been about a year. I'm almost Has on my it? year anniversary. Yeah, I started in October, so August, September. So I'm yeah, like, I started late December. Yeah, right, right around the same time. Yeah, November, yeah. December. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, I, it's funny because we will like 
message each other over the past like however many months and check in and you're like you're you're just a cool lady and I can already tell that about you so oh. thank you Danny from com for coming on you're so kind you're so welcome and I think you're awesome too I was on the Instagram live yesterday with you and Diane oh you guys are just you're just amazing and Diane is amazing too but Isn't, you know um she's the, she's yeah. the best and I'm sorry I couldn't like I need my glasses and I can't, I, the worst thing about those Instagram lives is when you can't see, because I'm in denial about the fact that I, I'm like, I'm trying to not, I'm trying to like fight the fact that I have to wear glasses to be able to see. And I'm so vain. I don't like the way I look in glasses. So when I'm on those Instagram lives, I'm constantly like taking on and off my glasses and trying to like pose and look good. And it's just not, I have to know that I, I, it's time to accept that I have to wear glasses, but I didn't, I couldn't see who was on. So thank you for coming on. That's so sweet oh, of you. Welcome. That you you're welcome. Of course. Anything to support you, Megan, anything to support Aww. you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see your beautiful face in person over, over, like over the camera. We're not together, but <laughs> I wanted to have you on because I think the topic is as females that we're going to talk about today is so, so, so important. And so many women have dealt with this, including myself. And I just, um, I just can't wait to, to dive in and talk to you. So why don't we just like kind of get right into it? Danny, yeah. tell me your story. Where are you from? I, we, I, I want to know exactly like as much about Danny as my listeners can possibly Ooh. know. I am from a place that I call slower, lower Delaware. Um, I was born in Lewis, Delaware. Um, do you know where Delaware is? Honey, I know where Delaware is. You know where I <laughs> <laughs> You know where I used to spend my summers in uh, in Bethany Beach and Dewey. Oh. You yeah. know exactly where I was born then, on the beach, yeah, Lewis Beach, drive, Delaware. Drive through Lewis, right? Yes. To get through. Mm -hmm. It's a very small is it a small town? Am I remembering? Very exactly? small town, like a square inch small, but yeah, very small. Mm -hmm. And you can't speed through Lewis, right? Don't no, you can't. Okay. So I Everywhere. Think yeah. Tickets in yeah. Lewis, Delaware. Yeah. yeah. We, we've all gotten tickets in Lewis, Delaware. All of us. Okay. So, okay. Hey, welcome to, well, welcome to know, Lewis, I, Delaware. I knew I liked you because you're an East Coaster. You're one I'm of my East people. Coaster. Yeah. And I'm a beach bum. I love the beach. Um, probably because I was born on the beach. Yeah, so I'm from Delaware. I lived all over Delaware. Um, I went to, I have six brothers, uh, two sisters. Um, yeah, six brothers, two sisters. I'm the second oldest. Oh yep, I'm the second in the family. Um, I got, I have about uh, 30 nieces and nephews right now. We're very much a um, procreation type of family. <laughs> <laughs> Like <laughs> yeah. Wait, um, are all of those brothers and sisters from one mom? No, no. Okay. Six of six of six of them are. The other three are not. Yes. I just mm -hmm. don't understand how my mom is. Is I, I I consider myself from a large family too, but I was one. Technically, my mom had five babies, but mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. passed. One passed. So, but even being from four these days, I'm like, how do people even do that? So to hear six, I mean, my mom's one of six and then adding your, 
it's unbelievable that women are able to mm-hmm. deliver that many babies. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know how people do it, but I don't, I don't, congratulations I don't know how to do it either. Mom. God bless her. God bless her. Exactly. Um, <laughs> definitely. Cause actually I never wanted kids. Um, but I wound up with two beautiful kids. My son is 28 and my little Zoe is uh, two and a half now. Um, okay. So you, but yeah. you spread that you really have a span of mm-hmm. having your kids. So that mm-hmm. in itself is like a whole podcast. How you even. Oh, oh right? my gosh. Starting all over, having a different perspective on parenting and life and energy levels and food. And oh my goodness, it's completely completely different. And so yes, you had, it's a, your, you had your first baby. I'm sorry to skip ahead, but you had your first baby very, very, very young. Yeah. Very young. I was, um, pregnant the summer I graduated from high school, um, okay. and, uh, had him, of course, 10 months later. Um, but yeah, I was on my way to the military actually. Um, I hadn't had sex at all. I had made it through high school. I hadn't had sex. And my very first real boyfriend um, got pregnant on my very first time and found out at my medical physical for entering the armed armed forces that I was pregnant. Um, So I had to make that choice between giving up custody of my child or actually going through and having a baby at 18 years old. Um, Wow. Yeah. Um, and How so, that? Um, and to backpedal a little bit, I'm sorry. Cause I kind of, it's like, okay. it seems like you, did you have like a happy childhood? What, what? Mm. No. Okay. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I, um, you know, that ACEs study, you did a, you did a podcast about that. I and, did. um, I remember going through that, that checklist years and years ago and saying, man, I checked off every single thing, physical, emotional, neglect, sexual abuse, um, repeated sexual abuse. Um, I went through all those things. And I told myself that if I, um, that I would never have kids if I was ever going to be honestly like my parents or um, like other people in my circle. Um, It was a very painful experience for me. I look back on my childhood and I don't remember moments of joy. You know, and if they were, if there were moments of joy, they were fleeting, like seeing the Christmas tree with all the presents underneath of it. But then 10 seconds later, your father attacks your mother because he's drunk or they have a fight or the tree gets burned down or the house gets caught, gets, um, sorry, the house catches on fire or something of that nature. Um, You've been through all of that. You've been through all of that. All wow. of that. All of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in denial about a, a long time until, because we just, you know, we just kind of went about our lives. You know, we just, we just survived, you know, the house almost burnt down. Or if you got beat up the night before, you just got up the next day and you went to school. You know, um, it wasn't until my oldest brother, um, he went to prison. He was wrongly, wrongfully convicted about um uh, the same year my my son was born, 1993, but he went to prison for 10, 15 years on a wrongful conviction. Um, but when he came home, he just hugged me and he said, I remember everything too. I remember the abuse. And it, for me, it was like such validation because I was like, 
oh, it did happen. You know, I'm not crazy. All of those things I went through that I never got to talk to, there was somebody who shared the experience and could remember the experience. It's um, really interesting. So you blocked it all out. And I'm so sorry to hear about your brother too, because I actually have a episode coming uh, up about prison reform and good. Um, and it's, that's a whole separate topic. And I just, there's so many people specifically black men that go yes. away wrong. And it's just the, I, that could be a five hour long episode, but I am so sorry to hear that he experienced that. Um, it's so wrong. And I'm, and I'm hoping that we can make changes on that because it's, it's something that should never happen. I mean, it should never happen. And then on top of that, on top of that, just the fact that you both were in, you all, I'm assuming all of your siblings went through sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that people are able to, to uh, the, the fact that people are able to go on and obviously you are an ace like I am, but I didn't have the same experiences that you. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I do this is so maybe a listener out there is listening and can understand that it's okay to talk about this yes. and get help and get therapy. Have you been able to get, I mean, I know that you're, you're very into yoga now and it seems like you have your act together. Have you been in life? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, not when I was younger because in our community, um, you just get over it. You know, it's like, Oh, literally, you know, you, I did an episode about this actually. Yeah, you did. Exactly. Actually, in the community, it's just like you get over it. Oh, you know, everybody goes through something. You know, I remember, you know, trying to tell my teachers things were happening or I remember an aunt of mine witnessing me getting um, getting a beating, a beating uh, and uh, doing nothing about it. I remember, you know, writing letters to um, people. Nobody responded. So it's like I was by myself, very isolated. very much so. And it wasn't until years later where I could no longer function. You know, I should back up and say that school became a very much a safe haven for me because I'm very intellectual. I love learning and I read a lot. So a lot of my escape was hiding in closets, reading books or, you know, going to the library and listening to stories being told, things of that nature. Um, So that was my safe haven. And as long as I could do that, I was okay. You know, Um, And not only that, that was my validation from a lot of people. Oh, she's so smart. She's so bright. She's this, she's that, you know. So I did that um, naturally, but it it became my source of approval from my family. Um, So years later, I finally crashed after years of promiscuity and um, repeat pregnancies and abortions. Um, I got engaged um, to a man and um, had a miscarriage. Um, he left me. Um, I lost my job um, at that same time. Uh, I had went to medical school um, and all of that came crashing down at the same time. So I wound up in therapy for six months, but I wound up in therapy because I co- tried to commit suicide. My best friend found me because um, I told her, I said, I just don't want to live anymore. I just want to go to sleep. And uh, she took it 
she took it to heart and she's like, wait a minute, that didn't sound right. So she came to my house. Um, I had prepared some food for my son and I went into my bedroom and I had made a cocktail of pills. Thank you. Farm, thank you for the medical school class in pharmacy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I learned how to make little cocktails and I started to take those pills and she found me. Um, I wasn't quite out of it yet, but I was on my way. Um, and by, uh, the grace of the universe, the grace of God, I got to the hospital in time. Um, they did their test and they said, we're either going to, um, admit you involuntarily, or you have to agree to come into an outpatient program the next day. And that's what I did. So I spent three to six, I want to say six months. It seemed like a long time, but I spent, um, Day, my days in outpatient therapy. Um, I was in group therapy. I was in drama therapy. I did cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and I can say that the group therapy was the best thing for me because I had a female therapist. I had a male therapist. and I had all what I call my brothers and sisters who were trying to overcome some things. Um, and it was kind of like a family setting. And it was the first time I was able to speak about some of the things that happened to me um, in my past and feel safe about it and to feel heard and to feel validated for those particular feelings I was having. And I realized at that particular point that I wasn't damaged beyond repair. Does that make sense? What, this, I, this what I just said? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I almost cry. I, I do know you now, but I'm just so proud of you. When I hear stories of people that have picked themselves up and overcome the most horrible, horrific things in life and been able to just be like, I need help. I'm going into therapy. That's part of why I do this podcast is because I was also suicidal and, Mm -hmm. um, and I made the choice to pick myself up and go on. I never where you were, but the more people and the more messaging that we can get out there about people admitting that they need to get help. If, if, Um, And I obviously am a white woman. I will never understand what it's like to be in the black community. I'm, I'm obviously an ally and a friend and, um, and I, it's so important to me that things change in our society. There's a lot of people that are out there that want everything to be equal for everybody. And I'm one of them. But I do know the amount of just from reading, from doing a prior podcast with uh, a a black man named Abraham Scully, and he also was suicidal. And he was like being told, you're fine. You're not supposed to get therapy. That's not accepted in our community. It's not okay. And um, in hearing your story of just like how much can somebody take, I know that my own path in life and what I've taken. And it's nothing compared to what you have been through. And I just want you to know that. And, um, and I'm sorry, I'm crying too, but I'm just so proud of you that you pulled yourself through this and you've gotten to this point and you're here and you're doing something with your life and you're helping people and you're helping people right now by telling the story. So thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I just wanted I to. Do I, I said I wasn't going to do this today. Thank you. you know what? I'm cry- I mean, I'm the one that's like crying, so it's okay. 
thank you for telling your story. I know there's listeners out there. I hear from them. And, um, and when you share these things, there could, you never know, there could be somebody out there, Danny, right now, that's really going through something like similar to what you went through. And they're trying to figure out a cocktail to uh, off themselves and just listening to something like this could help one person. You never know, or it could help a friend. I hope, of so. A friend. Yeah. I hope so. I do. I really hope so. And that's why I realized like that I had to, um, I had to stop isolating and I had to start speaking about this because not only is it helping me, it's going to help other people. I don't want any other little girl on the planet, any other little boy on the planet, anybody to go through um, the things that I went through. They, those particular things did shape me, you know, um, but but they don't define not, you. But they, they don't, don't and they don't define you. me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And just like you said, you you pulled yourself up. You know, I remember my mom asking me uh later when um we had a nice heart to heart conversation about some things that happened to me. How did you get how did you get through it? You know, how did you do this? You know, how did you go on to medical school and you know, travel the world and do all these particular things? I said, I decided that I wanted something different. My son was a big motivator. If I had not had my son, I'd be dead. I'm 100% sure that I'd be dead because I would look at him and say, okay, he deserves something different. He deserves something different. And um, I gave him something different, you know. I I just want you to know I can relate to that because I've openly talked about it on the podcast. I've told this story. I I was on the beach. We're both beach girls. I live at the beach too. (laughs) Um, and I was looking out at the ocean and I've told this story now numerous times on the podcast and I saw my daughters and I was just in the darkest, darkest part of my life, darkest days. Um, didn't see And I so fortunate to have my two babies that I love so much and my husband and, but I was in so much pain mm-hmm. and I looked at them and I was like, I don't want to go on. But then they're also the reason why I chose to go on and I chose to to make the choice that they're like, I'm I'm gonna shift my life and do something that will hopefully help somebody else. And that's what it sounds like you're doing too. And so we're so lucky that we were given these souls that are children that are put into our lives that are kind of a lot of times they're like even though mine are horribly behaved right now. And I like yelled at one of them. You heard me. I was like, get out. <laughs> um, mom life, mom yeah, life. Um, but they're like souls that are put into our, or into our, um, into our lives to help, to guide us. So My then, son was so that then, for me. Mm-hmm. Then what did you do? So then w- once you got to that point, you were in medical school. Did you stay in medical school? Like, are you, tell me what happened. No, I had to leave medical school um, because I had to make a decision on whether I was single. Um, My ex-husband and I had split up long before I got to medical school, but I had to make a decision on whether I could invest that amount of energy and time into school and still be the type of mom I wanted to be. And I couldn't. So I decided to go into scientific research. I worked in cancer research for 20 years um and you then like you're really really stupid i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> i am 
I am. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, oh, you can Me too. No, that's really remarkable and amazing. Good for oh, you. Oh well, well, thank you, I, thank you. Um, it came naturally. It wasn't my, it wasn't my first choice or my first love, but you know, it it paid the bills and it served me well. It served its purpose. Um, and then I decided that I was going to uh, become a yoga professional, and because I was tired, because of course intellectual life was where I ran for safety because I was smart. You know, that was my safe place. You know, a lot of times you run to places that, that can keep you and you don't want to deal with the other things, you know, but I got to a point where I could no longer deal with the other things. You know, there were some continual stressors in my life. There were continue, continual abusive relationships. I still had a pattern of choosing men that were not healthy for me and I wasn't in the healthiest place. And so uh, one summer I decided to take up yoga and um, uh, change the directory of my professional life. And so okay. I became a yoga. I need to, I need to stop you right here. <laughs> offline, we have talked about, you told me, because we both actually, like you got, we, I'm, I hate to skip ahead, but I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. I'm very open. So was I. Mm -hmm. And then Danny told me that she was as well. And this is a new diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was talking to you and I was like, Oh my God, I cannot do yoga. Like I'm one (laughs) of those people that I can't even get a massage. Like if I'm on the table, my mind races. Mm -hmm. And so if I do yoga, I tend to like stare at the clock because I can't calm myself, but I know just because I have so much anxiety, I'm supposed to be doing it, but I'm so impressed that you made the shift into doing something like yoga, because I know how good it is for people that have been diagnosed with, you know, PTSD, complex PTSD, Mm -hmm, or any mm -hmm. kind of anxiety or depression, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Um, So I should back up. There's a backstory to that. Um, no, that's okay. the, re- the reason, okay. The reason I, uh, started practicing yoga, um, is because I developed cervical cancer in my early twenties. And, um, I found this amazing book called eight steps to optimal health or something like that by Dr. Andrew Weil, W E I L. I always say his name wrong. So forgive me, Dr. Weil, if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Um, but that's where I learned about breath work, and that's where I learned about yoga from a book. So that summer, um, after I was diagnosed, they told me there was a uh, there was a chance that the condition would reverse. And so, as a nerd, I just kind of did my research, like, well, what do I do? How do I, how can I improve my immune system? And yada yada yada. So um, that summer, I was away from the family for about six weeks doing an internship at Texas Children's Hospital, and I picked up that book. And I implemented all those all those steps in that book, and yoga became the thing that saved my life over again, over and over again. Um, every time I was in an abusive relationship, or every time I got sick, or every time there was a stressor, um, every time I um, would uh, get pregnant and have an abortion, or um, not know how to process it, and um, I would get on my mat. It became my very safe place. And um, eventually I got to a point where I could not live without my yoga practice. And that's why I went into 
a teacher training because I wanted more of that. I didn't think I was going to become a yoga teacher. It was just more to intensify my practice. Um, and I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. The practicum was awesome. Um, I was like, oh, I could do this. So I remember being on my yoga mat one morning because I like to practice outside. And I said, God, you know, I'm so tired of being in the science world. That was not that was where I ran. If you just open a door for me, I'm, you know, I'm out. I'm going through it. And the next day, my trainer called me and, and said, hey, there's a there's a teaching position open at the School of Public Health at uh, Temple University in Philadelphia. Are you interested? I said, teaching yoga? She's like, yeah, teaching yoga. Hey, all right, I'm in. And so I never looked back. Started my own wellness company, um, got certified as a, a life coach, um, then became a doula later on in life after I had Zoe because um, the doula, a doula saved my life again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, um, I lost my train of thought, Megan. <laughs> no, that's, okay. No, that's okay. What I mean, I, like I'm amazed by your story. I love mm-hmm. your story. I I say this a lot to guests. And I wonder <laughs> if my listeners are like, okay. But sometimes I hear people come on, and I'm like, you're supposed to be writing a book. You're supposed to be. Mm. I just like feel that you, what you're doing is so important, and ways for people to be able to pick themselves up and find new things. Like maybe one thing doesn't work. And um, I I think of, of myself, I, when I was young, I would always go into characters. I'm very right brained and I mm-hmm. would sing and dance and I would go in my closet and, mm-hmm. um, and pretend like I was somewhere else. I was mm-hmm. never into books, probably until pretty recently. I read a lot because of my guests, but Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually been really therapeutic and good for mm-hmm. me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But what you, about what's for you is you escaped through reading books. I did. And, and I did. educating yourself. And that's interesting that you did that. And then you ended up go like in your later life, and you're still super young, but going into something more creative, which is mm-hmm. yoga, which mm-hmm. is interesting how people mm-hmm. find different paths and your paths can always change, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, definitely. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And I really strongly believe that that creative piece was always part of who I was, but because of my life circumstances and my environment, that, that piece was not allowed to shine. And so now I feel like I'm coming into the fullness of myself. Um, at, when I was little, I wanted to be an actress and a dancer. <laughs> I was into cheerleading. Well, you, have, and, you have the energy and the face mm, for it and the figure mm, for it. You're mm, beautiful. Oh, I Inside appreciate that. You, I wish people could see you because you are a bright, <laughs> shining light. And I, I just know that about you. Just seeing you yeah. and hearing you. Yeah. You're so gracious. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so... Um, I do believe that. I do believe that um, we have to keep seeking. You know, we have to keep seeking those things that feed us and and fuel us and um, get over the fear of that seeking. You know, well, you know, we can get very comfortable and very um, um, content in our circumstances, but um, I don't think that's what life is about. I think it's about us continually growing, you know, and um emotionally, physically, spiritually, you know, and using each day to 
overcome something, to heal something and to give back to other people, you know? Um, I agree. Are you, are yeah. you, we haven't touched on this yet, but I'm assuming, are you spiritual? You believe I'm very spiritual. Me too. Yeah. I'm very spiritual. I believe in God. I'm not a religious person. Um, okay. But I do believe in God. I believe that there is um, something else because how else am I still here? That's my 100%. biggest question. <laughs> like I survived all of that. How am I still here? There must be a purpose for me. It must be a purpose for all those particular events um, that happened in my life. Um, and according, you know, according to being, you know, if I'm an ace, I really shouldn't be here right now. I should have all kinds of illnesses and diseases and, you know, mentally gone already. Um, but I'm still here. Really know? quickly. And I've had enough. Go just ahead. in case my listeners missed my episode with Samantha from the 16 Strong Project, an ace, because I didn't explain this and I, I forgot I should be explaining this. So an ace is an adverse childhood experience. So that could include um, uh, abuse, um, a, a alcoholic parent. Um, there's a whole list of things. So um, they say that ACEs a lot of times end up, if you, I've read up on it, um, sick, like a lot of times with cancer, like early diagnosis. Um, and um, it affects the rest of your life unless, and that's not to say it's a life sentence, you can get help. You can go into therapy. And like I've talked about numerous times, like my whole podcast is about, um, is about my therapist who saved my life. Getting therapy saved my life. And I did realize that I was an ace and it's not a life sentence and you can go on. You just sometimes need to realize that you need to get help and you need to talk about it. And I'm actually, I don't know if you've ever done this before, Danny, but I'm about to start EMDR. I haven't started it yet. But have you done that? I have not. Is that the therapy where you tap? Yeah. 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 I have not done that. Um, okay. So we'll have to keep in contact. You let me know how that goes for you. Yeah, I will. I'm, I'm, actually, yeah. I'm actually starting it like in a few weeks. Um, just because like you, I have a lot of stuff that I've blocked out mm -hmm. that uh, has come up in therapy. And I'm like, I, there's, I'm forgetting stuff. I, I, if I would rather... Have it come out, know that it happened, figure out a way to get through it and be able to go on with the rest of my days, right? Yes. Then just yes. push it down, right? Yes. Yes. Because the more you do that, the better you, better, mm, the more you connect with that, bring it up and heal those places, the more present you are for your children and everyone else, you know? That's one of my biggest motivating factors for staying on this path is now I have this little girl. You know, okay, so let's I, talk about yeah. Zoe. Who, by <laughs> the way, I can't wait to post stuff. But uh, and we're going to give our my, – my Instagram is at Judging Megan. I mention it a lot. Danny, what's your Instagram? Because I want people to follow you. I'm at Danny, D-A-N-I, Lee, L-E-E, Jernigan, J-E-R-N-I-G-A-N. Okay. And I will post all of this in the show notes, mm -hmm. but um, just seeing, and I'm going to post this picture of you and your gorgeous little girl, but I want to go now shift into this, your story about, I mean, we really uncovered a lot of stuff. We, you mm -hmm. came on because I wanted to talk to you about postpartum depression, mm -hmm. but I'm so thankful to you that you shared this story because I think it's 
so important for people to hear? Uh, yeah, I was in my early 40s. Um, still in my early 40s, I guess. I don't know. I forget how old I am. I'm in my 40s too. Give it up for 40s. Yes. Um, And by Um, the way, you look like you're 25. So, oh, thank you. That's the yoga. That's the yoga and the vegan lifestyle. That that's all that is. Okay, Um, I need to start yoga. It it might be. Yeah, it might be just the genetics too. My mom still looks really, really young. She's 68, and she looks like she's my sister. Um, but uh, yeah, so I got pregnant, 42, 43, with my Zoe girl, um, and it was a really good pregnancy. Actually, I mean, there were a lot of stressors in my life still. Um, the relationship I was in was not a great relationship for me. Again, I chose someone who wasn't, you know, I chose from my wounds as opposed yeah. from the healthier place of me. It's you know, that's one of the things you have to overcome when you're an ace. Um, Are you and, still uh, together? You're not no. still a partner. Okay. So no, that's ma'am. That's part two podcast. Yes, it is. Because, uh, okay. yeah, there's a whole nother story about that situation. Okay. Um, it's yeah. very common, by the way, for, for aces to have bad pickers. Yeah, we do. It's like not really your fault. I mean, I happen to be really lucky with, the, my husband, but I mm-hmm. was, I was in my early, I, I met my husband in my twenties, but when I was in my earlier teen, early twenties, I had, I was, I was always looking for the wrong, bad guy, not the guys yeah. that were nice to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and the thing too, was I was celibate for four years. I had given up everything like, okay, I just need to, cause I can't get it right. So I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, and then I reconnected with this um, this guy, Zoe's father, um, on Facebook and Facebook friends. And next thing you know, we were dating. And I mean, I'm really good friends with his sister. That's how I know him. So I kind of let my guard down a little bit um, more because I felt like he was safer because I know his sister. But anywho, I wound up pregnant. Pregnancy was great. Um, I still practice yoga. I was mostly vegan, but I had to have my chocolate almond milk every single day. Um, and I wound up getting an infection and uh, had to be treated for the infection four weeks before Zoe was due. Um, the next week, I felt a really bad tug um, or low, you know, in my lower abdomen. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's kind of strange or whatever, you know. Um, you know, I thought she maybe she was just shifting positions. And that night she she wasn't moving. Um, you know, women know when their babies are moving, you know, like yeah. that 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. time especially frame. I'm, oh, at I'm the thinking, end, especially at the yeah. end of the pregnancy, you're like yeah. you're constantly kicking. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, she's not moving. What's going on? So I was like, I'll just, you know, shift positions. And she kicked a little bit. And so I, I went back to sleep. The next morning I was having the same phenomena and uh, I called the birth center and um, I had a whole team of midwives and uh, I had a therapist already set up just in case I had postpartum depression again. I had a group set up already. Um, But the midwife says to me, just drink some orange juice and do some some um, kick counts, just counter kicks for a couple of hours. I was like, "Uh, no, my baby's not moving. I'm going to drink the orange juice, but on my way to you, I'll do the kick counts. So have that machine set up so that I can get on that machine. So you didn't go to the hospital. You went to? I went to the birth center. I was to have my baby. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And so they put me on the machine and they were like, oh, you're right. 
she's not really moving or breathing the way she should be. I was like, yeah, I'm right. I mean, what was that all about? Um, So they sent me to the hospital. Um, They did some more screens and her diaphragm wasn't working. Her diaphragm wasn't moving. So basically she wasn't breathing. Um, So they induced me. So I was in labor for probably, so the pain happened Sunday night. I got induced Monday afternoon. She was born uh, at 4.28 p.m. that Tuesday. Um, yeah, so I was in labor for about two and a half days. Um, oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm having a, I'm having a moment. Um, so I'm That's pushing. Okay. Yeah, I'm pushing and. Um, the labor's going good. I have my doula there. I have my sister there. Um, her father was there holding my legs and doing what he does. Um, she finally starts to crown and I reach down, I touch her hair. Um, and then I see the neonatal team come in. So the neonatal team came in with their cart, um, their heating lamp and all that kind of stuff. And I was, you know, I was like, Ooh, this must be bad. Um, but I kept pushing cause she needed to come out of course. Um, and so I finally, she finally arrives and I reach for her, but she doesn't give her to me. She's like, Danielle, she's blue and uh-huh. she's limp. And they take her and put her over with the neonatal team. And I couldn't do anything. So I'm hooked up to all these tubes. I couldn't get to my baby girl. Oh, um, so I'm so sorry. I'm and, so sorry. Uh, I, I, that must have been so painful. For somebody to experience that, because that's when your mother first meets their baby, it's one of the most, you know, like amazing experiences of your life. I'll never forget my moments of meeting my my babies. So that's really hard. Yeah. Um. So I um, I said to her father, "Go stand near them. You know, be near her. One of us needs to be near her." Um, so they're working on her and she had pretty much, um, no APGAR score. Um, and, uh, five minutes later she took her first breath. Um, and, um, and they just said, oh, well, you know, sometimes it takes a while for the babies to warm up. And, um, that was their way of consoling me at that particular moment. Um, and, uh, And I told her father, say something to her because she hadn't opened her eyes. She took her breath, but she hadn't opened her eyes. It's like, say something to her. And he said, hey, love. And she opens her eyes just like big as day. And my heart just like raced. I was like, she's here. She's present. She's she's she made it. You know, she made it. Um, And love is her middle name, by the way. Zoe Love. Her middle name is Love. love Um, That's one of my names. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's a beautiful Yeah, it is a beautiful I love name. Love too. Yeah. And so they bring her to me and she's on my chest and she's nursing and um things are going good, you know. Everybody's checking my vitals and making sure I'm urinating and I'm pooping and I can get up and walk the next day and all those other things, but Megan the thing is no one asked me how I was mentally. No one mm-hmm. said are you okay? You just witnessed your baby not breathing, basically not alive. And no one thought to ask me, not one person, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? Um, 
And I, I, I sat with that pain. I sat with that pain. Like, well, I should be grateful. She's here. She's alive. She's breathing. I should be grateful. Why am I harping on this one incident? And I realized, like, because it happened, you know, because it did happen. It hurt me. And it made me more paranoid, actually, about her. Like, I would not let her out of my sight. My anxiety levels were off the chain. Um, I started feeling guilty about being in this relationship, contracting this infection, not going to the hospital soon enough. So my blues, my baby blues turned into depression really quickly. And my anxiety. What did you do? Like, Because a lot of people don't realize that um, I've had two kids with my first definitely had postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't imagine what you went through is that's major, major trauma. Like seeing, seeing, a your own baby come out, almost die. And then there's no, nobody, they're just like, this is like a doctor's job. These are nurses jobs. They, their job is to just deliver the baby, give the baby to you then you take the baby home and that's it. But you're right. There needs to be, I wish there was some, and maybe there is, but there needs to be some kind of like that comes in and talks to mothers right when they have their babies and kind of explains right away this, you may be experiencing these things. If you are experiencing these things, if you are in pain, if you don't want to bond with your child, if you whatever it is, maybe then things would change a little bit and, and women mm. wouldn't have to go through this kind of like, right. Cause I'm assuming you were feeling all these feelings of guilt, paranoia, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, Guilty, paranoid, anxious. Um, I was crying a lot. Um, I was very isolated. I, I stayed in my, um, I stayed in my bedroom with her um, as much as I possibly could. I didn't even want her father to hold her um, because I was worried that she was going to stop breathing. You know, I would wake up in the middle of the night when she was sleeping. And if I didn't hear her stirring, like, is she breathing? You know? Um, And I also, I remember feeling that way. It's the worst. I wouldn't let anybody, wouldn't let anybody touch Sophie, my, my 11 year old. And I was Mm. so, um, crazy with like hand sanitizer and (laughs) I would sometimes just like go in her room and just like stare at her in the middle of Mm -hmm. the night, you know, just to make sure that her, 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 she was breathing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the, the female brain does change too, because you go into survival mode, you know, everything else doesn't matter. You know, that's why we can forget things so easily when we're pregnant and 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 in our postpartum phase because our limbic system grows and accommodates having a new baby. So you're, you know, you're like keen on, okay, this could hurt the baby. That could hurt the baby. You know, we need to get that person out of here. No, that person can't come. Oh, uh, that crib is too low or too high or whatever because we are now biologically geared to make sure our child survives. Nothing else. That's it. Um, There's an amazing book called The Female Brain, and it talks about the different phases of um, a woman's life and how her brain changes with pregnancy and postpartum. 
very interesting. I, I tell my clients a lot to read that book because it validates them. You know, you're like, am I supposed to think like this? Am I supposed to act like that? Yeah, you are. Your brain changes. But then there's a degree to change as well. You know, there's that there's that uh, degree where you're now you need you now need therapy. You now need help. You now are, you know, too paranoid. You know, there's OK to be cautious, but, you know, it's it's it, it's a weird oh, yeah. thing. It's a crazy mm. thing. I don't know if you experience because mm-hmm. everybody experiences different. If you did, if you w- did experience postpartum, um, I experienced ex- severe anxiety to the point where I would have thoughts like, what if somebody comes in my house in the middle of the night and they take a knife and they stab my baby? I, I would have yeah. craziest, scariest thoughts and I mm-hmm. couldn't get them out of my head. So I'm assuming you felt the same way. It's like this crazy, like these crazy thoughts that come into your head and you can't get out of this prison and you don't really know what to do because nobody tells you that this is normal, normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, it's normal. Yes. It's very normal. And I did have those crazy thoughts and thank you, Megan, for sharing that, you know, you had those thoughts because a lot of people don't feel safe enough to say that they have these thoughts because they're afraid their children are going to get taken away from them or someone's going to put them in a mental institution. But I had thoughts like that. I had thoughts about me and Zoe dying together. You know, I had those fantasies in a sense. Um, We should just, you know, die together. What if I, you know, can't be this, this good mom? I'll just, you know, I'll take her with me, you know, those type of thoughts. And I couldn't share that with people because, they probably would put me in a mental institution or take my child away from me. But it was part of that postpartum depression, anxiety experience, you know. And the only reason I knew that I had postpartum depression is because I had it with my son. It manifested differently differently with him because I automatically went into survival mode. I was single. I'm trying to work, you know. So I suppressed all of that. But when with you hindsight, were very, very young. Sorry I was very, very young. Yeah, so you were very, very young, and obviously, like our brain, like our bodies change, our brains change. You had mm-hmm. been done the work; you had gone through the therapy. Mm-hmm. When so, you were young, going through postpartum, you were still in that place, right? Yeah, yeah. So I knew, um, I recognized the signs within myself with Zoe, you know. Um, and the thing is, you can recognize the signs in yourself and know that's what's, what's going on with you. But you, can't, you sometimes you don't step out to get the help still because you're afraid of what people are going to say to you. You're afraid of the stigma, you know, especially, again, in our community, you know, to be labeled as crazy or you don't need help. Everyone goes through this. You, you'll get over it. Um, I was afraid to do that. I was afraid to be rejected like that at that particular time in my life. Um I tried to go on with my life. Actually, I was working towards a PhD in psychology at that particular time. And I had to give all that up because, number one, Zoe was my biggest priority. I wanted to be present for her. Um, But number two, I realized I couldn't handle it. I couldn't even remember whether I brushed my teeth (laughs) that day. Like, how am I going to do a dissertation or write thesis papers every week? I can't do this. Um, So it was a very, those, those first three months, first I would say six months was a very dark um, and very lonely place for me um, because I didn't have the people 
um, to talk to and to come support me and to just come take Zoe for a little while so I could get the much needed rest. And, you know, rest, not having rest, the absence of rest, the absence of good food and that support system aggravates your symptoms when you're um, depressed and when you're anxious because now your body is like, oh, you're not feeding yourself. You're not sleeping well. You are literally putting yourself in a state of delusion because you're not taking care of yourself. Um, and that was one of the things that drove me to become a doula because I did have a doula. I had a postpartum doula um, and she showed up at my house once a week. And those moments, that those hour, that one hour, two hours that she was with me, I really think contributed to me actually taking the necessary steps to get the help that I needed, you know? So what and, were the steps that you took? And, and also there's a book, I don't remember what it's called, but it's Brooke Shields openly. Oh yes. Openly talked about um, her, her horrible postpartum depression and how she wanted to um, at one point drive into a wall. And I give her kudos for that because number one, she's a celebrity and that's like nobody, like you said, nobody wants to admit these feelings. Nobody wants to, I remember being like in my head going like, I can't tell Ron, my husband, this, like, I sound like a crazy person and I don't, and you are so, do you want your baby so much? Mm -hmm. I wanted my baby so much. I had been through so much to get Sophie that I know that people around me must've been like, Oh my God, she's, she's a nutbag. Like what is going on? But I didn't, I didn't want to admit it. Like I will tell you a story because I, I, I believe in like at least shedding some humor in every aspect of life. It saved me throughout my life. So one, and I hope you appreciate this, Danny. So one time right after I had Sophie, I was, she was probably like a month old and I was like, I was like large and in charge. I hadn't lost my baby weight. <laughs> I, was, I was walking. We lived by the Grove in Los Angeles, which is like an outdoor mall. And w there was a girl that used to flirt with my husband. And this is like how off my rocker I was at the time. She was like walked out. She was like looking really good. I was a brand new mom. I was, you know, you're like nursing and you're like just feeling gross. And she goes, hi, Ron. And I turned around and I think I turned around and said, like, leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> but it was literally like, it was my like, all the hormones. It was like my postpartum. Like it was my, one of my first times out and my husband kind of looked at me and he was like, what is wrong with you? And I, <laughs> I just didn't like, no, I didn't. It was like, I didn't know how to deal. I didn't know how to function. And I think there's a lot of, and I told this story because that's who I am. And I want to try and make people laugh and see light and stuff. But, um, it is, if you are listening to this and you had a baby or you're, you've gone through something, just know, like, it's just go get help. The minute yes. that you start to feel like, uh, I, this is a weird feeling. Don't, mm -hmm. don't like wait. That's right. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say that? Cause I, I say, don't wait, don't wait. Yeah. Because the reason you shouldn't wait too, is because postpartum depression can become a very chronic depressive thing for the rest of your life. Um, and it's important for you to take care of yourself so that you can take care of that baby, you know? Um, 
And yeah, I agree with you. Don't wait. Um, and some of the steps I took was thankfully I could recognize it in myself because I had the experience. But um, I reached out. You know, I called the doctor. I called my therapist. I called my doula. I called whoever would listen to me. <laughs> I called them. You know, I had them come. I had my sister come and do my hair one time. You know, she will never understand how um, for that day that kept me going. You know, she just showed up at my house one day and saw my hair all over my head. And she was just like, oh, I'm doing your hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and allow people to do those particular things for you. And then eventually what happens is you'll start to do the things for yourself. You know, you'll start to go to the support group. You'll start to eat better. You'll start to want to have a glass of water instead of a glass of, you know, <laughs> juice or wine or something that's not so good for you. You know, um, yeah, it's important to, to to reach out and ask for help mm -hmm. and keep asking for help. Because a lot of times what happened was I would call the doctor and they're like, oh, well, you're just in the baby blues phase. Oh, you'll be OK. You know, it's only been four weeks in or six weeks in. Oh, you'll be fine. It's just your hormones. You know, people tend to negate you and dismiss exactly what you're trying to tell them. And that's the worst thing that the professionals in your world or the support people in your world can do is dismiss you. So you have to find someone who sees you, who hears you, and that you can hold on to. Because if you don't, you're going to lose yourself. And I that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Did you go, did they put you on medication or did you go the route? What, how did you, what, what, what were the steps that you took to get yourself help, whether it be like just talking to somebody? Because sometimes mm -hmm. people need medication, like when they mm -hmm. are at that point where they're still mm -hmm. like seeing things like I was seeing or feeling the feelings that they were feeling. I needed mm -hmm. to be medicated. I was not at that time mm -hmm. uh, because I have a very good support system. And I found ways, I don't really know looking back on it, how I got through that. But like you, I think that I had been through so much in my life already that I knew how to, to push things down. And I just did mm -hmm. because that's how mm -hmm. I survived. But I do think it's very offensive when people say, oh, you just have the baby blues because yes. not your hormones. Yeah. Some people just have hormonal issues. It's very, uh, it's like a shock to your system when you have a baby because you don't sleep. You're like, if you're, you choose to go the route of nursing, you're constantly up at night nursing a baby. A lot of women are, don't have the luxury of having a supporting, a supportive husband and they're doing it on their own. And it's like, you're, you just can't do this. And this is why there used to be like families would live together, right? Yes, yes, and exactly. Like, and the, the term, it takes a village. That's why the term, it takes a village was invented, I think, because it does. It takes a village, like the the your mother would help you feed the baby and like families live together. And so if you're doing this by yourself, I don't, I don't even know how people do it. I mean, honestly. Right, you were saying medication, yeah. what were my steps? Yeah. Um, what did I do? I, um, I already had a team in place, so I talked to whoever I needed to talk to. I went to my support group. I did not use medication. Um, 
I'm super sensitive to medication, like even Tylenol. <laughs> um, I don't know if I damaged like my liver when I tried to commit suicide a few years ago, uh, back in what, 2008. Um, but I'm very sensitive to medication. So I kind of stay away from that. But I also think medication is a crutch. If you need it, you use it, get it, use it. It helps you through. But then what needs to happen is you need to put certain tools in place. Like if you're a yogi, if you like to write, if uh, you're an exerciser, like to play tennis, um, if uh, you like to go places, um, start doing those particular things, force yourself to do those particular things. And sometimes it really is as simple as I'm going to take a shower today. I'm going to get dressed today. I'm going to put some lip gloss on. So those are some of the things that I did. And when I was invited out to certain things, like the picture I sent you of me and Zoe, that was a modeling event that they invited me to, to do for a breastfeeding group. I did that. I went, everything in me was like, stay home, stay in bed. Just, you just want to cry. But no, my doula came and picked me up and she said, you're going to go to this event. So I got dressed, got Zoe dressed and went there and it was the best day ever. They gave me a makeover. They had uh, food there for me. Um, they had doulas there to hold on to Zoe while I was getting all those pampering things done. Um, so get out, do things, um, and continue to talk. I, I would say continue to talk to people. Um, you can't make certain people understand, right? Um, Zoe's father could never relate and never really understand what I was going through, you know? So he's not even, he wasn't even a safe place for me, but there were safe places like my group. Um, and talking to your professionals, like your, your doctors and your midwives and your doulas and people like that, they have the resources. You just have to make them, sometimes you just have to make them see that you really need the resources so they don't dismiss you. And it's, it's sad that you have to kind of force the issue, but you do have to force the issue. You have to take responsibility for your own mental health and your mental well-being, um, because like you said, people will dismiss it. They will push you to the side. They will say, oh, you'll get over it. Oh, you know, it's a rite of passage for motherhood. No, it's not a rite of passage. I'm sick. I need the help. Um, and so those are some of the things that I would suggest that people do. And those are the steps that I took. And I also made myself get on my yoga mat, even if I just sat there. Okay. So <laughs> I just yoga, yoga is like... Mm -hmm. I mean, yoga is yoga like, is really good for postpartum depression and anxiety because it gets you moving. Number one, number two, you invoke the nervous system to calm down because you're breathing that breathing in and breathing out. The yogi breath helps to, to uh, invoke your parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system and it starts to calm you. The more you breathe that way, the more you calm down. And the more you can start to see clear. Now, there was a lot of times I would cry through my yoga sessions, but that's what my body needed to do. Because for me, I'm moving, you know, like I'm trying to get moving. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to distract myself. But what I really needed to do was sit still with myself and process all the emotions that were coming up for me. Um, so long, that's the best. How long was your postpartum? How long did you, so you did all of these things. And again, I'm going to say for certain people, like, just because for myself, I needed, I am on medication. I don't, I'm hoping I can go off of it soon. I'm on Zoloft because I had, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a choice. Like I had to go mm -hmm. on something. Mm -hmm. So, so it's okay 
Everybody has okay. their own, everyone has their own um, route that they want to take. Um, mm-hmm. And medication could just be a temporary thing till you get yes. to the point where you can get exactly get to where you know you're doing the yoga you're do- some people just can't even they have it so bad they don't have the choice yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you know, there's like you said there's a degree to it some have it really really mild and some have it so severe that you need that medication you might move into psychosis without it and that's even more of a dangerous place to be um so i'm not knocking medication it was just not something i chose to do for myself I ever met, you can kind of tell when you see other women that are dealing with postpartum. Like, I just knew, like, I had a friend that I would see all the time, and I knew her before she had the baby. And then it was like her, maybe it was her third kid. And I would see her, and it was like kind of like, it's almost like you, there's nothing in her, their, your eyes when you oh, see yes. the people. So mm-hmm. you have to know, like, see the warning signs, like you said, like, how are you doing? Do you want me to come over and help? Like, do you want me to bring over a coffee? Like other women really need to do a better job of, um, especially if you've gone through this, of supporting other, other women. You yes. know, don't you agree? I do. I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, my sister came and did my hair. That was the most supportive thing that, you know, she could have done for me. You know, that was her way of giving to me. You know, I would have preferred if she had came and, you know, cooked some macaroni and cheese and, <laughs> you know, had <laughs> had a smorgasbord prepared for me. But her doing that hair, doing my hair, it just, um, it got me through that day. And Isn't it crazy, too, that you never forget the moments, like little mm-hmm. moments in life. You don't, for, you'll never forget, like, you remember that my sister came and did my hair. Like, mm-hmm. The little things in life that people can do for each other, like you remember those things in life. Oh, and, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. I and, and I and I think I agree with you. I think we women need to be more supportive of each other in this particular phase in their lives. You know, it's not an easy transition. They say that when the, the baby is born, um, so is the mother. I don't agree with that because the mother has to make the transition. And she can't make that transition without the support of her village. She just can't do that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you 100% what, there. What? So, about the steps of pointing, like, of knowing there's an issue, where are you now? What are you doing now? So, and also, I wanted to say, because I know what a doula is, but in case somebody's listening and they don't know what a doula is, can you explain what a doula is? Sure. Um, I realized we didn't say that. Yeah, we didn't say that. A doula is a um, professionally trained emotional support person for the mother. We have birth doulas. We have postpartum doulas. We even have deaf doulas. Um, And what we do as a doula is we come in, we talk with the mother, we educate the mother about childbirth, about uh, breastfeeding, about any issue that may or may not come up for her. Um, After you have the baby, um, doulas do things like come and wash your dishes for you, Um, come and hold the baby so you can take a shower Um, or just sit and talk to you and listen to what you have to say. So we're all about emotional support for the mother which is something that's lacking in our medical system. Like, like we were talking about earlier, the doctors are designed. Yeah. Doula should just be on like, I I know 
I that's like now my whole thing makes sense where I was trying yep. to explain. Now I look like a moron, but anyway, um, <laughs> no, no, you- <laughs> there should be doulas on staff. They should have a doula on staff that checks into every room after the mother and says, here are the signs. I would really agree. Mm-hmm. You have a baby and then you're kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Like, and then they send you home and there's, you don't know what you're doing. And then you mm-hmm. have to wait. You know what I'm saying? You have to wait to go see your pediatrician to get your mm-hmm. baby weighed the first time. Mm-hmm. But you're, there's no manual unless you read one of those books. It's, it's a mm-hmm. very strange thing. It is. It is a very strange it's thing. And I think that's, and yeah, I think that there are actually hospitals um, now that have doulas on staff or volunteer doulas, doulas. I wouldn't say on staff, but definitely volunteer doulas that are on staff for support for women and for that, that support. Um, but, you know, like you, you don't know what a doula, like some people don't know what a doula is. And uh, if you don't know about it, the insurance company is not going to tell you about it because the only way I knew that my insurance either would co- insurance would even cover a doula is because they I told them I had a history of depression. So then they said, oh, well, would, would you like this support system or would you like that support system? I was like, hell yeah. Send me a doula. I love it. Um, but I didn't know. I knew what a doula was, but I assumed I'm glad I'm asking at the very end of the episode, like what a moron. But um, the, I, I thought that a doula was only for somebody that had decided to go the natural birth, like the natural Mm-mm. path. Of, see, I Mm-mm. did not know that. So Mm-mm. I wish I would have asked you this an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A doula is there to support you the entire time, no matter whether you choose the natural route, a home birth, a hospital birth. We do it all. We do it all. We're there to support I the mother. Notice. Yeah. Like I got tipped. I should have had a doula. Darn it. Danny. We'll have a we'll have another baby. And I'll um, be your doula. No, I have like one <laughs> egg left and it's hard boiled. I think I'm good. <laughs> right. Um, um so now to answer your question, where am I now? I'm in a very good space. I'm in a very good space. Um I still have some of my issues, my, my challenges. Um, there's time where I get really, really anxious. Um, you know, I had another situation happen with Zoe. Um, she's, she's autistic. Um, we got the diagnosis in February. So that was a shift for me. And again, I went to that place of blaming myself and this, that, and the other, but she's in speech therapy and occupational therapy. And we're learning how to communicate with each other. And, um, she's picking up language every day and, uh, she's awesome. Um, but I also was assaulted in October, um, and me and Zoe were assaulted, um, in October. So we were, we were going through some court battles with protective orders and no contact orders and things of that nature, but I'm well, I'm doing really, really good. Um, I have committed myself to serving the women that I serve and, and volunteering in the way that I volunteer and being a hundred percent present for Zoe. Um, so I'm in a really good space. And uh, I, I am so happy to, I mean, honestly, like we need to do a part two. Okay. Let's do a part two. I, I, I like, this is person should have to deal with as much as how much can a human take, but I love your attitude about, connect you with mine awful. Um, okay. Because I think you need to connect. Um, 
Okay. Because uh, she went through the whole um, diagnosis as well. And just maybe you guys can connect and it'll be good for you because it seems like it's okay. a fairly, that's pretty new, February. Yeah. February is um, pretty new. Yeah. But I love your attitude, everything about you. Um, I think that you're an inspiration. I'm sorry I waited until the end to actually understand. I thought I understood what a doula was. But I just, I think that you're incredible. I really do. Oh. And I, and I'm so, I'm so grateful that we connected. I say this all the time. Everything happens for a reason. I say it. Every yes. Yes. Um, yes. And then we, we kind of have become like internet friends or like messaging friends. And, um, and I think what you're putting out into the universe is so important. My question is, but before we close is in, in the black community, because they, women don't understand a lot of times or people don't ask for help. Do you specifically, because I wanted to talk about your podcast at the end. Can you tell mm. me about that? I think that your podcast is reaching out to a specific audience. That doesn't mean everybody can't listen to your podcast, but is it targeted um, towards women in the black community that have dealt with uh, postpartum depression. Can you tell me, can you explain that for my audience? Sure. Sure. Exactly. That's what it is. Um, it's called thrive after postpartum. Um, and it, my target audience is black women who are dealing with postpartum depression or anxiety, um, or, um, other challenges as well. Um, just making that transition into motherhood. Um, and I felt that it was important to start the podcast and to start the company and coach women around this place because, it is still a stigma in our community. Um, any mental health disorder um, is a stigma in our community and we don't talk about it. And one of the things that happens in the black culture with black women is we identify as strong and um, anything that is unlike strength, such as crying or vulnerability or mental illness, um, that stuff kind of stuff goes to the back burner because we're culturally, um, conditioned, even if it's a, even if it's a subconscious conditioning to just get up and keep going, get up and keep going and make these sacrifices. Um, and in the end, what we do is we hurt ourselves, we damage our health, we damage our wellness, and then we damage the next generation because we can't be present for our children. Um, so yeah, that's what my uh, podcast is all about. Um, and that's the community I serve. Um, and, um, it's also, um, very near and dear to me because of the social justice aspect of the disparities in healthcare with black, black women, um, the disparities in getting treatment for postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, black women are, tend to be two times, you know, 50 to 60% more likely to actually have postpartum depression and not seek treatment. Um, and it's, it's a you know a number of reasons because of the stigma because we don't trust the healthcare system, um, and you know part of that too is our environments are more toxic. You know we've got racism to deal with. We've got uh, more poverty levels in our community. Um, we've got those particular things in our landscape, and so those outside stressors and those internal stressors contribute to having the higher rates of depression in our community. Uh, so I'm passionate about that because I love kids 
Um, and I was a kid who didn't have a mother who could be present, who didn't have the support that she needed to be present for us. And I want to help shape women in such a way that they can be present for their own children. You know, it just takes like, like messaging, the correct messaging out there, having the conversations. There's, there are, there's so many people that want things in our world to change. Like there is racism. There is all of, I mean, our country is like a complete hot mess right now. Um, it's like, where do you even start? You know, I don't, I don't even, this is a whole separate episode, but hearing you doing what you're and listening to your podcast, just getting the messaging out there, you're doing great and amazing things. And you said, earlier in the podcast, um, when you talked about like, uh, wanting to end your life and why am I here? And like, this is your purpose. You're supposed Mm. to be doing this. You're supposed to be helping women in your body. And, and, and I'm just really freaking proud of you and the word freaking, but I'm using that because I don't want to use the other F word. You're amazing. You're my new best friend. Only, you know what? I love it because you're, you can can make me cry and laugh all in the same breath. And I I just love that. I love that feeling. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. um, Thank you for coming on. And I'm not kidding. Like, I really do want to have a second episode with you. Um, And in closing, I'm going to say thanks, Danny. You're amazing. I've said it like five times in a row, but I really mean it. And keep doing what you're doing. And in closing, everyone, keep living, keep praying, and keep growing. So I talk a lot about how much therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay. And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I partnered with a company called online-therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week. And you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website, judgingmegan.com and you go to the therapy tab and if you click on the link at the bottom you can get 20% off your first month when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply